0: When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she, was, that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterwards, Jesus appeared In a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on people who are ill, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. I'm going to invite Hugo to come up and uh, speak God's word to us. Uh, just pray for you first, so Hugo. Father God, we thank you that uh, you brought our brother in Christ, Hugo, to us again this morning. And we are excited and look forward to hearing what your message is for us today. Amen.
1: Someone needs to click, whatever. (laughs) Hello. Hello. There's lots of you today, isn't there? It's nice. Is it because it was Easter last week and you're, you haven't quite got over it? So you're coming again? <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, I thought I would actually do some Bible study today. Is that all right? So um, this, this passage is one of those fascinating passages in the Bible. Well, it's actually one of the very few passages in the Bible that are actually disputed. And um, the reason that I wanted to do the Bible study is because some of the disputes actually relate to our lives. You know, sometimes we think, um, you know, there's a disputed issue here or there's a disputed issue there or some complicated bit of theology. And it's more about how many angels you might got on a pinhead uh, than anything else. Just like, I don't know if you know this, but this country had major wars over whether Easter was last week or this week. You know, and who cares? Jesus rose from the dead. So um, history is full of theologians discussing things which don't matter. Uh, but there are some remarkable things that do matter in this passage. It was disputed because some of the very earliest manuscripts do, don't have this whole chunk in it at all. But almost all the later ones do. And so some theologians went, got very excited and said, well, therefore, this bit isn't in the Bible. Well, the only problem with that is all the bits that are in this bit are in the Bible somewhere else. I don't know if you've noticed that. So that means that it doesn't matter whether it's in the Bible or not in the Bible because it's in the Bible. But, uh, in other bits, but also it's really useful because in our day we might call this a multi cam presentation. Now, I know this because my son does media at university, and he comes back and he explains everything to me. It's part of his, you know, he's got some special needs, and part of his necessity in life is to come home and explain everything to his parents, uh, which, I am, I'm getting more and more confused about what you know. In early education, like kind of two plus two equals four, I could just about keep up, but it's a bit harder now when we move into multicam presentations. And he, he says, "Don't you understand this?" And I don't. So I kind of nod, like you do. Uh, and a multicam presentation is when you have more than one camera at a making a piece of video, like you know, a sports event. Uh, I like cricket. Some of you won't like cricket. Some of you will like football. I'm sorry for you, but I understand that others of you will like other sports. But one of the glories of sport these days is there's so much money that they have millions of cameras pointing at the ball at the same time. So every now and then there is a dispute. And in every sport, they call it something different. In uh, cricket, they call it DRS, digital something, something. It doesn't matter, but it's what they do afterwards to find out what should have happened or whether the umpires got it right or wrong and then every single camera angle comes on and you get more and more information actually you've seen it all with the first camera but then you see it all again with another camera and then you see it all again with another camera and you get more and more clarity as to what you're seeing and eventually someone makes a decision that the entire world disagrees with (laughs) and that's part of the whole essence of how a multi-cam presentation should work isn't it? Some of you are not into sport, you're thinking. (laughs) So anyway, that's what's going on in this passage. That uh, This is one camera that is looking at it, and it gives you different views of other bits that happened in the Bible in other places. For example, if you notice, it says Jesus rose from the dead, and Mary Magdalene saw him alive, and then went and told everybody that she'd seen him alive, and everybody didn't believe it. Now that's already there in the Bible. In another bit of the Bible, except in that bit of the Bible, you know, which is John's gospel, uh, Jesus actually it tells you what happened when he met Mary and all the rest. And then you know, it gives you more detail. But it's all there. Similarly, it says that two people were walking outside Jerusalem and Jesus appeared to them in a different form. And that's in Luke's gospel. And it has lots of detail in Luke's Gospel. Here, all it really says is that when they got back and they told everybody that they'd seen him, nobody believed him. So the point they're making here is slightly different, which is, guess what? Everybody sees Jesus alive and nobody believes him. Well, actually, it's not just that nobody believes them. It's that the apostles don't believe them. It's the people who eventually are going to be the main leaders of the Christian movement don't believe them you'd have thought that if they were going to try and build up these people as significant leaders and really wise and intelligent and important people running the the church, you'd have thought that the whole idea would be to give the impression that they were always right. Well, the lovely thing about the Bible is it does the opposite until Jesus turns up and tells them all off. So, If you think that the whole purpose of the Bible is to build up a religious hierarchy, it's quite clearly not there in the text. The whole point of the text is to say, these people were just like you. They didn't believe it until they saw it face to face or something happened in their own lives and their own relationship with God uh, clarified. Then Jesus turns up and speaks to the eleven because one of them has actually been the traitor. And he tells them off for their lack of faith and, it's, and their stubborn refusal. I mean, let's, let's understand this. He doesn't just tell them off for their lack of faith. It, he goes on, it actually goes on. And their stubborn refusal. In other words, not only did they not believe because they were just being quite intelligent and slightly more kind of, you know, focused on we need to know the facts and all the rest. But they deliberately in their heart would not accept that Jesus would have turned up and shown himself to somebody else. Which is annoying isn't it when you're going to be the leaders or you think you're the leaders it's much more you'd have thought that if you're going to be the leaders he would turn up to you first but guess what he turned up to a woman first (sighs) (sighs) (laughs) and they didn't believe it and then he turned up to people who were not part of the team Ah! outsiders and we don't like that kind of thing but jesus likes doing that all the time the bible's full of it the message ch- doesn't change throughout the text it's that it's one of the first reasons where they tried to kill him because he's a, he actually stood up and said weren't there so many widows uh, that were in need in israel and he turned up to someone who was a non-jew and helped this woman uh, in her poverty and then he said weren't there many lepers in israel and he turned up and he helped a general of Israel's enemy and healed him of leprosy. And that was one of the main reasons why the first time that people tried to kill Jesus. The message of Jesus has been the same all the way through, that he doesn't turn up to the people he should turn up, and he's not interested in building a hierarchy. So we then go on to the verse that Lynn and others told me I should be speaking on today, <laughs> which is the one. No, wonder if it goes up there. I know. No, it doesn't. Um, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Are you going to put the, the the stuff up that I sent, or okay? Well, just ping through that because that's the charity that I work for, and we go to Zambia like you go to Zambia. Next page, and we'd love you to look at the website anytime you can. And now, just for today, we're doing Mark 9 to twenty, and then the first point is here we go. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Now, the reason I thought we'd do some Bible study today is this, that we have a basic problem as British people living in the 21st century in our context of politics and media and life that we read the Bible through the lens of the way we're living today rather than the way the Bible was ever made to be read. And as a result, we we get excited about some of the things the Bible is not saying because we think it is saying them, because from our context, of course God would say that. So for example here, it says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Good news is gospel. or It's probably a different word from the word good news, but the word good news will do. But let me just pick up this last thing. It says here, to all creation. So all the British people today go, wow, God wants us to go and preach about Jesus to the flowers and to the stones and to the animals. And isn't that great? God is green. Now, here's the problem, is that when you're interpreting the Bible, you should not interpret it on the basis of the politics of the day or even... Even things which are right about the politics of today. I'm not saying it's bad to be green. Let's be green, people. Let's save energy. You know, do all the other things. Climate change is real and all the rest. You know, that's fine. The point is that the interpretation of scripture has been pushed towards saying that when it's not there in the text. There are two primary ways that you should read the text. The first primary way is what they originally thought they meant. And you said them, well, how do you know that? Well you can do some study and find out what they originally thought they meant. The second way, which is important, is that you can tell and have we talked about this multicam thing, you can tell what it meant if there is a parallel passage which says something similar and is meant to be the same incident at the same time, and we know in Matthew twenty eight that this is the same incident as when Jesus said go into all the world and make disciples of every nation or every ethnos or every group of people. We know that's the same story it's just that probably he said a few things on that day and Matthew recounts some of those things and here in Mark he recounts it just slightly differently because when you listen to it from a, uh, And he probably said five or six sentences, not just one. But when you write it down, you write it down, particularly if you've got to write it out in hand every single time for the next thousand years. You don't put it all down every time. You put down what you felt was important. You get your angle on the story rather than somebody else's angle on the story. Now, we know in Matthew 28, the point was to go and preach to all peoples, different types of people, so that they became disciples. So this seems to say it's talked to all the hills and mountains and trees, not the people, except that the word all isn't all. The word all is all kinds of created. It, it, best word to describe it is all kinds of created stuff or all kinds of created beings. So if you do the parallel passage, it's almost certain that what Mark meant was the same as what Matthew meant, which is all kinds of people. And quite interesting, the point, really, that both of them were making, if you read it in the way the sentence is constructed, is the emphasis is in all kinds. And therefore, what he was saying is, don't just go to people like you. Go to people who are not like you, and don't just stop when you've got five or six more groups of people who are not like you. Go on on until you've got all kinds of people. Because we know, and we've got other passages in the Bible that tell us, that there's going to be a day when... The whole of creation is wound up in some way and renewed in some way and there will be a people of every nation tribe and tongue in other words a people of every kind of people a people made up of every kind of people who will be worshiping God and will have been saved through Jesus and therefore even though it gives the impression of being a green issue thing this isn't this is more a multicultural thing a multi-type of people thing, an anti-racist thing, an anti-that kind of thing, if that makes sense. It's more, God wants all kinds of people, even people who are not like you, which if you think about it, is an extension of what we've just said about women and people who are all outsiders, which is what the text seems to be saying, rather than what we want it to say in the context of our present thing. Now, you might sit there and go, so why does that matter? Well, why it matters, is that we have got to start, we've got to start thinking not um, we've got to do what we want to do and do it in God's name, but rather we've got to find out what God is doing and what he's trying to do in the world that we're living in and do that in his name. And you sit there and well, where am I fitting in that? Well, you fit into it, that's the whole point, rather than he fits it into you and your agenda and your politics or even your opinion. One of the things I've discovered at home in my house is I've got young adults now. So I've got a 22-year-old, a 21-year-old, and a 19-year-old, and everybody seems to think their opinion counts. (laughs) Isn't that strange? Don't you think? (laughs) Why does your opinion count at all? Now, you might sit there and say, well, in a world of a democracy where you're going to have a church meeting after this and everyone has a vote that obviously what everyone's opinion counts. Well, sorry, it doesn't. Because that's really the message of the Bible, is that if you have a dispute with God, you're wrong. And until you can get to the point where you know you're wrong, unless you're agreeing with God, you will always find your life is a mess. Which brings me on to my next point. And I do like this. We're going to enjoy this. So, you're Baptists. Well, some of you aren't. You just came along uh, this morning. But did you know this is a Baptist church? Now, the Baptist church came into being because they didn't want to be sprinkled like the Anglicans do and do that kind of thing. That's because they didn't want godfathers because there's good reasons not to have a godfather, isn't there? If you've seen the movie, hey. Um, So... Being a a Baptist, what the idea was, you do what it says in the Bible, and then God will be pleased with you, and God said, believe and be baptized. He didn't believe in adult baptism, he believed in baptism after believing, and the word baptism for a Baptist, and some of you are really more Baptist even than Christian, and that you need to repent of. Um, But (laughs) if you need to be baptized, we need to find out what baptism is, and we have a pool to show you if you need to be shown, where you can go under the water in a building. You'd, I mean, why use a stream or a swimming pool where you can have your own pool in your own building? Why use a bathtub? Build a, a tub that is in your building because that's obviously the way to do religious baptism properly with lots of water. And you sit down going, some of you are worried that I'm taking the mick. I'm taking the mick. Because what you've done is created a religion out of what God was saying. Now, what God is saying is this. He's saying if you believe and are baptized, you'll be saved, but if you don't believe, you'll be condemned. Now, I always find that there's something in the Bible that clearly shows that people have moved towards religion, and that is when they don't translate the word. Now, the word baptize could be left as a religious thing, which either the Anglicans do with their sprinkling or you do with your swimming pool. Or different groups of people do all over the world in different ways. And we know it's there in Matthew 28 as well. Please note. And it's baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Matthew 28, which is the parallel passage. And again, it's not translated because the... There's two Greek words for getting very, very wet. One is capsized and the other is baptized. Getting very, very wet if you're a ship and you turn over like this is called capsize. And we still use that word, don't we? That If you're in a cruise ship and you turn upside down, it's not a good thing. yeah? Um, so that's called capsize. And the other one, baptized, means you go straight down under the water. And actually in the Greek, the word baptized does not mean you come back up again. So don't be a Baptist if you're worried about the coming back up again. You're meant to stay down. Um, now, you might translate that into English, submerge. Now, I would like to notice, if you, trans- if you actually translate the word submerge, it becomes very interesting what Jesus says in Matthew 28. He says, he says baptise them, or submerge them, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, if you get submerged into the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, that means you get totally submerged into God being Father and totally submerged into God being the Son, Jesus, and totally submerged into God being the Holy Spirit so that you're submerged in all that the Holy Spirit is, wow, your life's going to be changed, isn't it? Just having a symbol of that, and I know lots of teenagers have been baptised in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, their life is still totally the same because the reality in their life has not changed because the, the ceremony and the ritual does not change anybody. It's what happens in us that changes somebody. The doing the ceremony is something we do to a bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm into the ceremony and I do it. I definitely do it. Why not do the ceremony? I love a symbol... But the symbol without the reality is empty and dead. No matter what it is. The same with communion. The symbol without the reality is dead. If it's not there in your heart, it makes no difference. Now, I was going to try and uh, do something on this. Why do you think, some of you know this, why do you think it uses the word submerge for saved and not the word submerged? Condemned. If you believe and are submerged, you're saved. And if you, own, but if you don't believe, you're condemned. It says. So there is a grey area between the two, isn't that? That means that being saved is different from not being condemned. Did you follow me on that? That means that being saved is different from not being condemned. Jesus is not saying, I've been saved, therefore I'm not condemned. That, he's not saying that that's what you should be saying. You should be saying, I'm being a Christian. I'm saved, therefore I'm not going to hell. That's not the point. That's not saved. Saved is far more than that. You know, I wanted to illustrate this. I've, I've got a baptistry here. I don't know if you can see this. I, I love putting water near computers It frightens people. I wanted to illustrate this. So I ordered something to put in my baptistry. And I was very surprised when it came looking like this. And you might say, well, what on earth is that? Well, it wasn't what I ordered. I looked at it and I thought, this looks like it might just be good for cleaning something. But then I read the instructions on the back here, because if you read the instructions, it works. Have you noticed that? and I realize that this is the perfect illustration. You see, this could easily say, I believe. Therefore, I am not condemned. But it can't do this. And if you can't see this, please move so that you can see this, because this is beautiful. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Can you see? You just have to look. Can anybody see this? Ah, it is a sponge. It's so good. You see, that has been baptized. And you know something? They come in different colors. It's lovely. Anyway, um, you can get them from Amazon. Uh, They're just so lovely. Now that, that... That is saved. This is just not condemned. Believe, and you can be as dry as a bone, and go will go, oh well, let's take you to heaven, I suppose. But you'll never get anybody wet or wash their, fa- <laughs> sorry, their f- face. You'll never take the presence of God and pre- push it around the world unless you've got some of God in you. And you're in God. And, uh, you know, if you get a bit dry, you can always get back in, can't you? Now, what I'm really saying is this. Let's put this in um, simpler terms. Minimalist Christianity, maximalist Christianity. Or maybe minimalist Christianity and maximalist Christianity. Whichever way around you feel is positive or negative. There's minimalist Christianity, and some of you are infected with it. It's kind of religion plus. Enough of God, enough of believing in Jesus to say, well, I'm a Christian. That minimalist kind of relationship with God where I've, I'm doing my best, I don't have to come to church. You know, What do I have to do in order to have ticked the box so that if I die tonight, I'll be okay? God, oh, couldn't you believe... You know? Why would God ever want you in heaven anyway like that? But I suppose he has to because Jesus died for you. But then, there's the other one, which is extreme. It's no longer sprinkling. It is submerging in God and all that God is. Maximalist Christianity works in a remarkable way. I'll tell you what it does. It releases supernatural power. So stuff happens in your life. It's not just that I believe that there's a God. And notice the people who are being rebuked for not believing were the apostles. So, you know, you can be one of the leaders of a church and be going, I'm just leaving to get by and trying to get to the end of my life and not do too much work and have to go to the church meetings too often. Or you can go, I've got 10, 15 years left of my life, or, or maybe 40 or maybe 50, And I want to use them 100%. I want to be soaked in the presence of God and I want to take that presence of God to the other side of the world. And you say, well, this seems exhausting. And I go, "Look, What it says next is this. It says, if you take that gospel in that maximalist way to the ends of the earth, do you know what's going to happen? Signs and wonders are going to happen. Things are going to happen. I've met loads of people who go, look, I've been a Christian all my life, but nothing ever happens. It depends on the church you go to, but quite often, it's like nothing ever happens. Well, it always happens to the person standing next to me, and I look at them and I say, and how do you do your Christianity? And the way they define it is minimalist. But Of course nothing happens. Things happen when you go for it with all your heart and mind. You get in God and God gets in you and you take that to the far ends of the earth. The word go, do you know what it means? Another word for it would be travel. Wherever you travel, do stuff for God and make things happen. Please. Because otherwise, spiritually, you are boring. Okay. I'm going to go back to my first point here. God stood on the earth. This is my final point. God stood on the earth having just risen from the dead. Jesus was God. He'd become a human being. He'd lived his life. He let them kill him. When he died, he took all that's ever gone wrong in the world and took the blame for it. Took it down and dumped it in heaven and rose from the dead calmly and peacefully and stood in front of these people. He met two or three people. He started with a woman. He then started with strangers and then eventually went to see the main leaders and said, what on earth? Don't you believe all this stuff? We've got to go for it 100% and then stuff will happen. you go for it in every part of the world to every kind of person. Talk to them and tell them about the amazing victory that I have achieved by dying for you and rising from the dead. Tell them the victory, because that's what the word good news or gospel means. It's pronouncing the victory. Explain the victory that has happened. And let them believe, become disciples, teach them everything I've commanded you. We know that from the parallel passage. And you'll see signs and wonders, you'll see miracles because God will go with you everywhere you do this and do stuff. God, in the few days after he'd risen from the dead and done this, the one thing he told his main team to do was go and preach the gospel and expect signs. Go for a hundred percent maximalist Christianity and expect signs, miracles to happen that show his presence. That's what he said. And you sit there going, Well, why do you call that peculiar, Hugo? You know, the world that they were living in was a horrible world at the time. There was a, a major empire going around massacring people in large numbers uh, all over the place in irrational ways. The way Uh, The Roman Empire uh, basically allowed its generals to make money, was to go and have a war where they raped everybody, killed everybody, and then stole everything, took it back and put it in their homes. And that made them rich. And there was a horrible empire like that running the world at the time. You'd have thought that Jesus would have said, go into all the world and stop the Romans. Because it's reasonable. You'd have thought in the context of the injustice that was going on in people's lives, and the the amazing amounts of poverty. And when you think about slavery, you'd have thought that what they should have done was get involved in politics and get involved in breaking the power of slavery and putting things back in terms of justice. You'd have thought they should have brought democracy to the world. Rome had a form of democracy, but it basically meant all Romans could vote. And then that kind of fell apart because having had democracy for a little while, Julius Caesar turned up and ruined it slightly. Um, uh, and by the time Jesus was born they'd moved on to their second or third emperor no one's quite sure which uh, and th- they were getting used to the idea that you know, totalitarianism works so much better you'd have thought that Jesus would have said go and tell everybody about democracy being a good plan go and get involved in politics go and get involved in education go and get involved in society run the media, take over the world for me but he doesn't He says this, go and preach the gospel and everyone who believes and is submerged will be saved. You'd have thought he would have said in a world where there was so much sickness, go and be amazing scientists and come up with amazing, be amazing doctors, be amazing teachers, be amazing anything. You know, we all know that there are some things that the gospel should be more important than, like fashion or sport, but there are other things that are really important, aren't there? And still, when God stood on the earth, he said, this is more important than all of that. It's not that they're not important, it's just that this is more important than all of that. When I was uh, a late teenager, I could have gone off in various different directions in my life. And somewhere in me, I read these words and other ones similar to them in the Bible. And as I thought about it deeply, I came to the conclusion that the highest priority that God has in this world is for people to be, believe and be submerged in his purposes. And if they do that, then... He will be with them and extraordinary things will happen, and more and more, not just because they won't be condemned then, but because they will be saved. You know, the the word saved really, and some of you all know this, the word saved means that the cavalry turned up. That's what it means. It means you've been battling away in life, and the kingdom of God has come. That means the army of God has come and saved you. That's what it means. Do you know the good news is the kingdom of God has come. The cavalry has turned up. That's what it means. That's the first thing Jesus said. He said the kingdom of heaven is at hand now. Repent and believe. The good news. It's happening now. God is for you now. He loves you now. Believe in it. Throw yourself 100% in it and you will see miracles. You say, what kind of miracles? Well, you might be praying for someone who's sick and they get well, laying hands on them and they get well. Not every time, but sometimes it really happens. It may be that you'll preach in some way and something totally coincidental occurs. Some of you have heard stories that I've told of those things before. Things happen when you start 100% telling people about the fact that God loves them, Jesus loves them, and has died for them and risen dead. Things happen. You sit there and say, well, What's this stuff about being bitten by snakes? We don't have snakes. Yeah, but it did happen in the Bible. Someone got bitten by a snake and they didn't die. There's only one thing that isn't in the Bible here, actually, and that's the drinking of deadly poison. None of this suggests that we as a church, having believed and been baptized in one of these in a ceremony, should then be bitten by a snake to see if you die. There is nothing of that in the Bible. Well, nor should we drink deadly poison. That is all just stupid religion. The point is that as we go around the world and do extraordinary things because we've been submerged in God like that and we've become what we're meant to be and we try and squidge some God in people's faces is that God turns up and does stuff. Let's stand up and we'll pray. If you can. Father, I, I thank you for everybody in this room and everybody who's in different places. Some of them have got being, have come to worship this morning thinking we just need to pray for Ukraine or we need to pray about the injustice that's going on. We need to get get this government or get, not get this government to do this or do that or do the other. And, or they're worried about their work in a school or they're wor- worried about issues that they're campaigning about And they don't want to hear the priority of the gospel. But Lord, you still said it when you stood on this earth. And the priority for everybody, not just people like me. And I I therefore ask you, Lord, to help us in our spirits. To move our place to the point where we recognise that our opinion doesn't matter, and only yours does. And to ask you what we should do with our lives. Everyone in this room, however old or young we are, we have amazing opportunities, greater than people almost anywhere else in the world. And because of that, we can do so many different things. And I just ask you, Lord, therefore, to speak to us, and leave us in a place where we don't lean on our own understanding. But instead, we do what you say, and we do it maximalist. We do it 100%. Father, right now, I, I, in saying this from the text, I, uh, I feel in my spirit that there needs to be, for some of us, there needs to be, okay, Whatever you say, God. Whatever you say, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go. Wherever you want me to travel. Father, as we move into prayer for one another and uh, around specific meditations, I pray that you would continue to speak by your spirit, and then that you would confirm your word through one or two witnesses as this week goes by. I pray that this word that is in the text of Scripture would come into people's lives by your spirit, and that you would clarify what it is we're meant to do and what we're not meant to do. I pray for signs that follow the word, that confirm the word in our lives. Amen. these two here just, to, just feels so good. Maybe.
0: Thank you, <clears throat> Dave, do you want to introduce the, the song, the new song, uh, yeah, He yeah, Will sure. Hold Me Fast?
1: Uh, we'll sing a song based uh, on an old hymn that you'll either recognise the old hymn um, I, I'm not sure whether you've heard it in this sort of way the way we play it, but um...
0: but we've heard it, we've seen it on video before yeah. a few times, yeah.